Good morning, and welcome to the Revelation Power Podcast. I'm author and host Kevin Hopkins. Today we are beginning uh, Revelation 19. So just a quick recap, if you kind of work backwards with me. Uh, In Revelation chapter 18, we saw the fall of Babylon, the great prostitute. She represents religious structures um, that ride the back of the blaspheming name-covered small beast who resembles the big beast, but that beast, the small one that she rides, represents governmental structure on the earth. Uh, She is the religious systems that by partnering with and riding along with the politically correct things that the governmental system dictates in the world has gained power and wealth and influence. She rides the beast that represents earthly governmental structures, which have derived their power from the unseen evil of the first beast. Remember, the governmental structure, the the small beast, came up from among the people, from out of the earth. It didn't come from inside the earth. It came up from upon the earth. It was it was raised up so that it looked like it was a natural ascendancy to power. It serves the beast that came from the abyss, the first beast. And that first beast is the earthly manifestation of the dragon. It is the embodiment of on earth of all of the evil that the dragon holds in a spiritual place. Remember, the dragon is a constellation. He's he's representative of all the spiritual evil in the universe. So the first beast is his worldly representative. The second beast is his governmental representative. And the great Babylon prostitute is the religious representative of all things evil. And a couple of you have emailed me and said, Kevin, how can the church be evil? Well, that's a really good question. And the answer is compromise. Of the seven churches to which the book of Revelation was written, there were two about whom God had nothing good to say. Their message was, repent or I'll take your lampstand from you. Turn around and come back to me or I'll disown you. Those two churches at the time the letters were written to them were practicing evil, were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Now, there's historical evidence that both of them must have corrected their paths because they both lasted decades, centuries after the book of Revelation was written. So they either corrected it or God was really patient. And I'm not going to rule out either possibility. But when you look at the church in the 22nd, 21st century, when you look at the church of the 21st century, you can see where it has compromised with political structures, with governmental authorities. You can see where it has adopted what the government has dictated. And you don't have to look very far. Um, You can look back two years to the closure and mask mandates 
and those churches that immediately closed their doors or immediately started passing out masks for everybody in their congregation, blocked off every other aisle, every other row, made people sit feet apart, banned shaking hands or hugging or greeting each other. Some of them even banned singing because singing might spread the virus even if you're wearing a mask. It was crazy, right? And and in the end, we find out that none of it made any difference. Didn't really matter. People who wore masks got sick and died. People who didn't wear masks got sick and died. Some who wore masks didn't get sick. Some who didn't wear masks never got sick. People who took the vaccines still got sick and died. It's, it's like everybody wanted to be compliant. And that's, the, that's where compromise begins. In that whole experiment, governmental authorities realized for real that if they would declare an emergency, 99% of the country would just do what they told them and, and close their churches. I mean, I can't count the number of churches that closed that went to the pastor broadcasting on Facebook Live. Uh, one of my friends even did his church service from a tree in his yard, from his, from his grandchildren's treehouse. Anything to try and be different or creative. And, and our faithful, dear people logged on and watched church online. A lot of them sent their donations in by, by electronic means or they mailed them to the church to keep their church open. But not very many people just bucked the system. A church that I really admire said, we're not closing our doors. We are not going to put up with this. We will not contact each other. We will stay in our cars, but we own this big piece of property out on the edge of town. We are going to set up the PA system on a, on a big flatbed trailer, and we're gonna have church. And, and the only people that will sing are the praise team. They'll be on that trailer and they'll all be eight feet apart. But we're going to play the worship music. They're going to sing. We're going to lead worship. When they get off the platform and stay eight feet apart all the way, get back in their cars, then the pastor's going to come up and preach. We're going to have church in a field if we can't have church anywhere else. And, and their church grew because people were desperate for a message, desperate for a witness, desperate for a church. And so they came out and they had church in this field. Well, after about five or six weeks of this and, and the publicity and the popularity of it, one Sunday, my friends went out to have church in their field and cops met them at the gate and said, you can't go in. And they said, but we own this property. This is our private property. We have every right to be here. They said, no, you can't. You're gathering as a church, and that's against the public policy right now. And the pastor said, is it against the law? And they said, well, it's not, but it's against public policy, and we'll have to break you up. He said, no, you would have to break us up if we had more than 100 people meeting indoors and not socially distancing or wearing masks. But we're not indoors, and we're outside, and we're keeping our distance, and nobody is even talking to each other if they're outside their family. They're in their cars with the windows rolled up, participating in worship in their car. 
And the police didn't know what to do. And it was a bit of a standoff. And the pastor finally said, call whomever is over you, the mayor, the chief, whoever it takes, and tell them what we're doing and ask them if it's worth going to court and being sued for denying us access to our own property and access to our own free worship that isn't violating any of the laws or rules. And the police didn't want to have a scene or have a problem, so they let him worship. And the next week, the pastor got a letter from the mayor of the, of the city saying, you can't do this anymore. And so the church sued the city, took them to court, got an injunction. It went through the courts for weeks. Meanwhile, the church continued to have church every single week. More and more people showed up. The publicity was, was immense because they dared to buck the system. And people appreciated that. You see, that's how the church works. We are, we are insidiously undermining government at all turns. We don't, we don't obey governmental authorities. We will sneak our missionaries into China and worship in the country under a tree. We will pose as businessmen in Iraq and start churches in the middle of the night underground, literally in a basement dug under the ground. We are not obeyers of government. We are not subjects of any king but Jesus. And so this structure in Revelation chapter 18 and 19 is the celebration of first the spiritual fall and then the physical fall of all of those structures or any of those structures that stand against God. Now in verse 19, in chapter 19, verse 1, there's a subheading here if you read along in the NIV Bible that says the threefold hallelujah. And I don't know who it was in the translation team for the New International Version that couldn't count, but there are four of them. <laughs> there are four exclamations of hallelujah, and that constitutes the first section of chapter 19 that we're going to talk about today. Verse 1. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of an immense crowd in heaven. So we've moved from earth to heaven. They were shouting, hallelujah. Victory and glory and power belong to our God because true and just are his judgments. He has sentenced the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality, and he has avenged the deaths of his servants she slaughtered. Then they shouted a second time, Hallelujah! The smoke of her destruction rises forever and ever. Then the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell on their faces and worshiped God who is seated on the throne, crying a third time, Amen! Hallelujah! A voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both common and great. Then I heard what sounded like an immense crowd, or like the roar of rushing waters, or like loud peals of thunder, shouting finally, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty has begun to reign. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him, for the wedding day of the Lamb has arrived, and his bride has prepared herself. She was allowed fine linen, shining and pure. Fine linen stands for the righteous deeds of God's people. 
Scholars debate whether or not this passage is a historical reference to what Christ accomplished on the cross and that God at that point could begin his reign. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven was finally possible because Christ had rent the veil that separated God and his creation. Christ had ushered in the Holy Spirit so that we could communicate directly with God without a priest as an intermediary. Christ had released the power of grace and salvation on this earth so that we could be saved and immediately become citizens of the kingdom and the reign of God while we were still on this earth. Uh, I think that's absolutely possible here. Or other scholars argue that, no, this is the final end of worldly systems and evil. Um, okay, I'm not, I'm not opposed to that either. It's just interesting that in 18, chapter 18, there were still merchants and business people and, and sailors who could stand far back and, and lament the fall of Babylon. There's no implication that they are righteous people. Um, they're still on the earth and they're still lamenting the fall of Babylon. And the call was for righteous people who apparently still exist on the earth at that time to come away from her. So I don't know that I would join the camp that says this is at the very end. I think this is a way to explain what happened when Christ died on the cross and all the power of, of spiritual evil and evil structures on this earth was sapped from them, taken from them, never to be restored. And the only power that the devil has in your life today, the only power that evil has in your life today is whatever power you give it. And if you won't give it any, if you won't give it a place, it won't have any power in your life. Will it touch you? Yep. You live on a, a fallen and cursed earth. You live on an earth that is hurling itself towards destruction. So yes, terrorism will happen. Evil will happen. Accidents will happen. Yes, death will still touch God's people, but will it rule them? Will it influence them? Will it, will it drive them to sin? Only if they let it. It only has the power that you give it. Can it take your life? Sure. But then you'll go home to heaven. It has no power over you. Oh, grave, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Gone, eaten up in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, see? So I'm in the camp that believes this is a way to express the jubilation in heaven when Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead after his death on the cross. Then the victory was won, and it was won once and for all. The smoke would rise up from evil from that day on. Evil would not rebuild itself. It would not reconstitute itself. It would not come back with any power or strength. Now Satan goes about like a roaring lion, like a roaring lion. He's not a roaring lion. He just goes around making a bunch of noise. That's all the power he has unless you give it to him. You say, well, Kevin, how do we keep from giving the devil power? I often illustrate it like this. I got up in front of my church one day and I said, who went to Walmart this weekend? Everybody raised their hand. And I said, okay, uh, 
let's let's have a moment. Let's share who stole the best stuff. And they chuckled because we're in church. And I said, wait, you, are you telling me you didn't steal stuff at Walmart this weekend? Do you realize they lose millions of dollars every year to people stealing stuff? You got to get your share. Why didn't you steal anything at Walmart? Surely somebody, raise your hand if you stole something this weekend at Walmart. Of course, nobody raised their hand. I said, okay, raise your hand if you went to Walmart this week and you didn't steal a thing. All the hands went up. I said, why not? And I stood there in silence until somebody said, it would be wrong. I said, who says? They laughed and somebody yelled, the Bible says. Okay, the Bible is a book. What does it matter what the book says? Somebody else yelled, well, it's God's book and God says. I said, so you didn't steal because you have a moral conviction that God believes it's wrong to steal. And they all started shaking their heads and agreeing. Some said, amen. I said, okay, so you're telling me because you believe that God holds something to be righteous, you have the power to say no to that sin. You have within you because of conviction and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in you and your belief that it would be wrong. You have the power not to sin. Now, I'm from a Wesleyan background and that's our message, right? But that's not everybody's message and it's certainly not the message that most people are subjected to in our culture as they grow up. We're subjected to this message that everybody has to sin every day in word, thought, and deed. It's just not true. That's a compromise. That's the message of the devil. Oh, you've got to sin. You can't avoid it. There's a, there's just a subtle difference. Are we sinners? Absolutely. Are we, are we worthy of going to heaven? We are not. Can we earn our way to redemption? We cannot. But do we have to sin? Once we are saved by the power of Jesus' blood, and the old man has died, and the new man has been raised. Do we have to sin? The Bible does not say that. And so here stand the host of heaven. I heard what sounded like an enormous crowd in heaven shout, Hallelujah. Victory and glory and power belong to our God because true and just are his judgments. He has sentenced the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality, and he has avenged the deaths of his servants she slaughtered. That works at the, at the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Then they shouted a second time, Hallelujah, the smoke of her destruction rises now forever and ever. It starts now and it goes on into eternity. Her destruction is complete, as my dog's is going to be if she keeps barking. Then the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell on their faces and worshiped God, who was seated on the throne, and they said a third time, Amen. Hallelujah. Amen means, let it be just like that. Let it be so. Hallelujah means, praise the Lord. It's a, it's a Hebrew word. That means praise the Lord. Hallel is a word for praise. You 
Lu is the word for you guys. And Yah is the name of God. You guys praise God. That's what it says. A voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants who fear him, both small and great. And I heard what sounded like a tremendous crowd, or like the roar of ocean waters, or like loud peals of thunder, shouting with one voice, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty has begun to reign. Are you going to tell me that God has not yet begun to reign? God's not king now? That Jesus wasn't king of kings and lord of lords as soon as he was resurrected? Is God waiting to be king? Is he waiting to begin his reign? Is there some power that must yet be crushed before God can be supreme and sovereign? Not one of you believe that. And yet we act like this is all off in the future somewhere. It's not. It's now. It's, it's since Christ's sacrifice on the cross. That's what he died to purchase was your salvation and mine and the ability of God to reign again in those of the old covenant and those under the new covenant and everybody on this earth who will ever exist, who will make him king, who will proclaim him Lord. He has begun to reign. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him for the wedding day of the lamb has arrived and his bride has prepared herself. She was allowed fine linen, shining and pure, for fine linen stands for the righteous deeds of God's people. What? Wait, what? Fine linen stands for what? The righteous works of God's people. Wait, what? She was clothed in fine linen, shining and pure, and that fine linen represents the righteous deeds of God's people. Our works matter. In heaven, this Scripture says we're clothed in our righteous works, in the things that we did that were good in the kingdom. Uh, one of my good friends, when something good happens on earth, he says, well, good for Jesus. And when we were young, that would always make me chuckle because it was like, yeah, okay, good for Jesus. But now I understand what he meant and has meant all these years, that the things that we do that are righteous on this earth are indeed good for the kingdom. That's how we build the kingdom. Our salvation is by grace and grace alone. But it's not grace that is alone. Our salvation is by grace. Our judgment will be by our works. And, and if we stand in heaven clothed in white, we're clothed in the deeds of righteousness that we did knowingly and unknowingly right? The two groups. Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or naked or sick or alone and not minister to you? Both groups, the righteous and the unrighteous, absolutely just as clueless. And to each, he says the same thing. If you did or did not do it to the least of these, my brothers, you did or didn't do it to me. You and I commit righteous acts every day, unaware. And and we could, in the same way, commit unrighteous acts and be unaware. I was with a friend of mine one day. We were in uh, Lincoln, Nebraska. We were there for a conference. In fact, I was with three of my friends, and we decided after the conference to go to dinner. 
We wanted, oh, we were in Omaha. I'm sorry, Omaha, Nebraska. We wanted some of those Omaha steaks we'd always heard so much about. So we headed for the Omaha Steakhouse. And on the way, this guy stopped me on the sidewalk. Now, he was a black gentleman in army surplus fatigues. He had an olive drab jacket and olive drab pants on a black t-shirt. He had a cross necklace around his neck. And he, he stopped me and he said, hey, hey, my brother, let me read your palm. And I'm with three preachers. And, and they started laughing. They thought this was the most hilarious thing they'd ever seen. This guy was going to read my palm, right? And so he takes my hand and I let him look at my palm. And he says, you've had a great life. But you're about to, you're about to undergo the most intense suffering you've ever faced. Hang on. God will get you through and he will meet you on the other side for more blessing than you ever believed was possible. Now, it sounds pretty general, right? But I took it to heart and and I thanked him and I I had $3 in my pocket, my pop money for the day. And I pulled my $3 out and gave it to him. He thanked me. And I said, are you always on the street? He's like, oh, yeah, my name's Randall. Everybody here knows me. You can always find me down here. Just ask for Randall. Okay. So we went on to dinner. And Randall stayed in my heart that whole time. It was just so strange that he would pick me out of a group of four guys that he would read my palm. Oh, I left out a detail. When he was done reading my palm, he said, could you spare just $3? And and I reached into my pocket. I was going to give him whatever the total of my pop cash was in my pocket. And I pulled it out and I counted it and it was $3. He didn't ask for a five. He didn't ask for one. He didn't ask for 20. He said, could you spare $3? And I pulled my money out of my pocket and it was three $1 bills. And I handed it to him. And my friend said, you know, he's just going to buy booze with that. I said, I don't care. That man asked me for $3, three. And when I reached into my pocket and I pulled out the folding money I had with me, it was exactly $3. There's no way I'm not giving it to him. I said, you guys, you got to learn to treat strangers with grace because many have entertained angels and not been aware of it. And they laughed at me. They're like, yeah, that was an angel, all right, dressed in his olive drab. And off we went to eat our steaks. Well, it ate on me the whole time we were there. And so, I mean, in Omaha, when you get a steak, it's so gigantic, there's no way you should eat the whole thing. So I cut it in half and I ate the half that was closest to me. And, and I saved some of the potatoes and gravy and some of the green beans. And I had the waiter box it up in a box for me. And as we walked home, I was looking for Randall. And we couldn't find him, but we found this older black lady who was sitting in about the same place. And I said, ma'am, are you here often? She's like, honey, I've been here every day for the last 11 years. I'll be here every day till Jesus calls me home. I said, oh, good. So you probably know Randall. And she looked at me funny. She said, who? I said, Randall, the guy in the, in the army coat and pants 
the black t-shirt. He reads people's palms. And she said, honey, I worship Jesus. I ain't going nowhere near somebody who reads palms. I said, all right. But what he told me, I think was from God. His name is Randall. She's like, honey, I've been out here for more than 10 years. And there has never been anybody on this street anywhere in Omaha named Randall. He don't exist. And the guys I was with looked at me like they'd seen a ghost. And I handed her my food and I said, well, could you use some steak and baked potato and and green beans? And she's like, ooh, yes, I'm going to eat good tonight. And she took the food and we walked back to the hotel in dead silence. And finally, one of my brothers in ministry spoke up and said, I think that was an angel. Now, I, I can tell you now, 12 years later, that everything that guy said came to pass. Everything he said was the truth. I wouldn't have believed it would ever happen at that time, but it did. And I saw the biggest crash of my lifetime. And God alone saw me through it. And God alone met me on the other side and has totally restored my life. And that guy, whoever he was, prepared my heart for what was ahead. And he was absolutely spot on. He asked me for $3. It still sticks in my head. It's such an exact and weird number. And it was exactly what was in my pocket. Somehow he knew and he knew that I would connect the dots. That's just how the kingdom of God works. Was I doing a righteous deed on purpose? No, I was just going to help a guy out. I don't, I don't deserve any credit for that, but I truly and honestly believe that one of these days I'm going to walk through the gate of heaven and Randall's going to be there and I'm going to learn the truth about who he was. And they're going to hand me a robe and it'll probably be Randall that hands it to me and says, this is for that day. And all the other days when just because you had a decent heart and you just wanted to help somebody out, you didn't think about what belonged to you or what belonged to somebody else or how fair it was or what was going to happen to it once you turned it loose. You just did the ministry of Christ for no reason at all. I hope that's true. I believe that's true. It's the only hope I've got, really. It's the reason for all of heaven to shout four times, Hallelujah! The power of sin is broken in your life and mine. There's a song that says that Christ breaks the power of canceled sin and sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. Amen. It's reason to shout hallelujah because that kind of freedom is available to you and me today. The reign of God in our hearts can be certain today. Do you know him? Have you met him? Would you just take a moment and pray right now and say, Lord, I want to do your work. I want you to be my savior and my king. Live in my heart from this day on. Grant me the hope that I will be one of those in heaven one day shouting hallelujah.